the CEO of a hospital that I, that I interviewed, he was walking the hospital floors saying to nurses and doctors and others, what do you need? How can I help? How are you feeling? Do you need some time off? Getting that information and doing something about it. Because one of the things he said to me was not just listening and say, oh, okay, but getting back to the person was very important. Hello and welcome to the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and real subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. And the best part, it's completely free. In today's episode, we have a special guest for you, Glenn Parker, who is an accomplished author, team building consultant and community activist. Glenn is the mastermind behind 17 books, including bestsellers on team building and leadership and the renowned Parker Team Player Survey, which has sold over 1 million copies. He's here today to talk about the power of positive influence leadership, a topic that couldn't be more relevant in our current climate. Glenn and his son Michael co-authored Positive Influence, the leader who helps people become their best self, and the recently released follow-up book, Positive Influence 2, Leadership in a Time of Crisis. In this episode of the show, we are discussing some of the key leadership lessons that we can learn from the COVID-19 pandemic and how to apply them now and into the future. So, sit back Relax and let's dive right in. Here's my interview with Glenn Parker. Glenn, a very warm welcome to the podcast. First of all, just let me ask, how are you today? I'm doing well. Looking forward to our our conversation. Good. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this, having sort of uh, been getting to know you these past few weeks and looking at some of the publicity around your new book. I've very much been been looking forward to, to hearing what you've got to share with me and, and my listeners, of course. So straight off the bat, let's dive in. I've heard you talk about positive influence leadership. Like what, what is that? What are you what are you talking about there to set the set the scene? Well, thanks for the question, and thanks again for the opportunity to um, um, talk with you about leadership. Let me answer that question by telling you a story, a personal story about something something from my life and career. And this is the kind of the way we've been trying to get the message out about leadership and particularly positive influence leaders is by using stories. We think that it makes it more both interesting and impactful to tell a story, use a, in some cases very dramatic quotes that um, we, we got from interviews, then to make a list of the following characteristics of a positive influence leader are, you know, that, 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 that. So anyway, so my, let me take you back a long way to my, my first job, my first real job, professional job out of graduate school. And my first performance appraisal right. with my first boss, kind of a whole scary kind of thing. Um, and so um, we're in we're in this meeting and we're discussing my performance. And he's he likes what I've done so far. 
And I just have to tell you that the work I did was basically I was, wrote reports. Uh, I was asked to look something up and write a report. And so that's what I did. And I was pretty good at research. So I looked things up and I wrote reports and I looked another thing up and I wrote another report. It was, to be honest, it was pretty boring stuff. So, uh, but I was good at boring. So, I mean, not, not everyone can do boring, but I did it well. Uh, and then there came that portion of the performance appraisal that that says your development plan. What, what do you want to do going forward? And I had thought about this. I noticed that across the hall, the people that worked in leadership d- development and leadership training seemed to be having a lot of fun. They were traveling all over, conducting workshops and coming back with stories and stories about travel and stories about the workshops and the people that they... And I said, boy, you know, Larry, I think I'd like to... I think I'd like to try that. I wondered if I could just sit in on a class and observe it. And he said, well, it's uh, it's funny, Glenn, because I'm, I'm actually traveling down south next week and I'm going to be conducting a couple of workshops and um, you can come with me. But there's just one thing. I really can't justify your travel expenses unless you teach something. Oh, wow. So my lips start to quiver and, you know, and I'm like, Larry, I, what what would I, what, I don't know anything. How could I teach something? And he said, we'll figure it out. And he did. And I did. And I taught two hours of a two day workshop and it went really well. And I I said, this is what I want to do. This is really what I want to do. Now, understand that what Larry did was he positioned me for success. He did not say, Glenn, well, you want to get into this. Why don't you teach the two days and I'll sit in the back of the room and I'll give you a critique at the end. No, he didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, I taught two hours the afternoon of the second day. So the class was all warmed up and it was pretty hard to screw this up. And and I didn't. So I walked away from that saying, well, and that's what I continued to do. And then went on to not only leadership development, but organization development and team development and the like. But that was the springboard for all of it. And I didn't realize what Larry had done until many years later. But as I said, he had positioned me for success. And one of the other key things about a positive influence leader is that he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. He knew that I could do this. And I didn't know that I did it. And that's one of the key characteristics of what we call the motivating positive influence leader. They see something in you. They help you find your purpose in life, your true north, what what you're really here for. And that's what Larry did. And let, let me be really clear. Larry was a competent, very nice guy, not especially charismatic. In fact, we, we there's research that shows that, you know, charismatic leaders are not necessarily the most effective with people. And no one would ever confuse him with Tony Robbins or any other. I mean, he's not that, but he he knew how to get it done. And that's 
I think that that's a good example of what a, um, a positive influence leader does. Among others, we ended up with coming up with four different types or four different styles. And I, I mentioned the motivating type, which is the person that find, helps you find your two north. But there's somebody that teaches you what you need to know in order to be successful. There's another person that focuses on being supportive. You can do this, Ben. I know this. I can help you. I'm behind you. I got your back. And then there's the role model also. The role model is the person that you look and say, oh, that's how it's done. So you learn by watching them do their thing. Mm -hmm. And often the role model uh, is somebody you never met. You know, there's lots, lots of well-known people that have been role models for the rest of us, or at least what we know about them. That's, you know, a little intro to the positive influence leader. Glenn, there are so many questions already that have come off of your your one one answer. The one I've got to ask, just because I'm I'm curious, links to your experience with with your first boss there, Larry. Do you think on reflection, or maybe you maybe you know this, do you think it was actually true that he couldn't justify your travel expense unless you tour? Or do you think that was just a story he created again to to set you up for, for success and sort of position it in a in a slightly different way? Because if if it was the latter, that's that's smart as well, right? Where it's making it feel as though it's not him that's necessarily applying that little bit of pressure. It's it's quite clever if if, if that was done intentionally. Yeah, I learned later because I was a new employee that uh, no, he he didn't need to justify my travel expenses. There were other ways that that it, it just going and sitting and observing would have been a, enough justification for my travel expenses. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. wink, wink. <laughs> and, and the other bit that's interesting as well, when you're talking about he was very, very competent as a, as a leader, as a nice guy, but not that sort of very gregarious Tony Robbins sort of on stage, look, look at me type, type of leader. I think that's really valuable as well, right? Because when we use words like, positive or influential like sometimes people can make that link can't they and think that uh, to be that person you have to be very loud and outgoing but it's not the case is it because certainly the the research from Jim Collins's work in good to great a lot of the leaders they studied were the almost the very quiet leaders you wouldn't necessarily in a room know they was the the CEO but they still had great impact Ben, I, I know you. I, I know you know this, but this—it is true that one of the key characteristics of an effective leader, and particularly a positive influence leader, is their listening skills. And I, I, I am big on that. And so, very often, what you see in the meetings that you are talking about is a leader who is listening and and taking taking all of this in, and. I recall one that I worked with early in my career who did not talk much in meetings, but when he said something, everyone listened. I made up a term to describe him. I described, I said, Jim, you're an economical con communicator. He, he, he didn't waste words, but when he said something, people turned and looked and listened. That reminds me of a, a quote that one of my very first guests on this show shared, one of the early episodes, a guy called Connor Pierce, who's uh, one of the senior leaders in Samsung Electronics. 
he always lived by this mantra where he said, act like a man of thought, but think like a man of action, which I think very much speaks to what we're talking about here, right? Just being considered and listening intently. And then when you do communicate, it's with, with impact and it's well considered. It's, it's a under, underutilized leadership tool, I think, in many, many areas. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't need to tell people how great you are. They're, they're, they're going to see. Because one of the things that people do is they watch what you do. They listen to what you say, but more importantly, they watch what you do. And what we found is what we call the role model leader is that you had better be able to walk the talk. Uh, because people, you say, we're very customer focused in this organization. And they, you, you better be customer focused in your interactions um, with customers. So you know, there's got to be an alignment between what you say and what you do. Because as I said, people learn by watching you and they also pick up whether you're authentic or not. And I heard you mention just a few moments back as well, sort of these different, I think you described the word different leadership roles. So the role model, the supportive leader. I'm curious to learn a, a little bit more about those. Are they different roles that we might step into depending on the situation? Kind of what's, tell us more about that, if you will. Well, yeah, we, we refer to them as, as styles. So you've heard right. of a styles inventory. Yeah. I had one that's been widely used called the Parker Team Player Survey. It identified four different types of team players. It was a, actually my first book called Team Players and Teamwork, where we identified what is a team player. But we said there's different ways you can be a team player. So it's a different ways of being a positive influence leader. Because what we did is we interviewed all these people and we they answered the question of what the, what they did. And we didn't go in with the idea that we would have four types or four styles or that we would have any, any styles at all. We actually started out with the idea that we would um, come up with a, ser a specific series of characteristics of an effective, positive influence leader. And that would be what we would present. But we realized that there's, there were different roads to that, to that end. And so that's how we came to this idea of four different types or four different styles. So it's a preference. It's a, what we call your primary style. Yeah, makes sense. All of us have the capacity to do all four. We happen to use one or two more frequently. So it's more of a, a frequency issue than it is that this is the sum total of our, 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 our existence. And people can change because what we do, and in that, our first book, Positive Influence, the Leader Who Helps People Become Their Best Self, there is an assessment survey in the back of the book that you can take. And our publisher has been kind enough to publish it separately in a booklet so, you know, a whole team can do it together. But you, you, you fill it out and you get a score for all four of those types. And the one with the highest score would be your primary positive influence leadership style. And you might have two because of the 
points are very close, then you consider them two or three. Some people have a flat score. And people say to me, what does that mean? I'm just boring. I don't have any <laughs> definitive persistence. No, no, no. That means you're means actually you're very flexible. Yeah, you're very, you, you have the potential to be a, a great leader because you are able to assess the situation and say, okay, uh, what does Ben need right now from me? Yeah. And do it. That, that's terrific. That reminds me of something one of your fellow countrymen said when I had uh, General David Petraeus on the show and I asked him about a leadership style, like what's your leadership style? And his his answer was was very, very on it and clear, but really powerful in that he said, well, tell me the situation I'm operating in. Tell me who I'm working with. Tell me what you want me to achieve. And then I'll tell you my, my leadership style. So it's that being honest and authentic, right? But being able to flex and adjust to the to the situation, the people and the place you find yourself in. It's it's super powerful. It's situational. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Situational yeah. leadership. Yeah, that's a that's that's a venerable concept. Yeah, it's been around for a long yeah. time. So yeah, cool. So Glenn, let's have a little chat about kind of your your latest book the the new book so if i understand it rightly it explores some of the the challenges and lessons that leaders have learned during the covid19 pandemic right you tell us a little bit about about the the book and the sort of the the process you went through to to write it well the first book that i just referenced was supposed to schedule for release in may of 2020. And of course, the pandemic had already yeah. hit and hit hard. And it was um, really challenging time. So we said, nobody's going to be interested in reading a leadership book uh, at this time. So we postponed it till um, later in the year. And then we thought about because we'd always thought about a series of books about positive influence. And we thought, well, maybe we'll do one on teachers, you know, different types of teachers that um, and Michael, my son, my co-author, said, Dad, we're sitting right in the middle of something that we ought to be looking at, which is this, this uh, COVID-19 crisis. Why don't we see if what we think about positive influence leaders applies in a time of crisis? So I said, that sounds great. And so that's what we did. And so we specifically looked for CEOs and other leaders, senior leaders in organizations and in industries that were hard hit by the pandemic, specifically healthcare, hospitality, meaning hotels and restaurants, transportation, education, school leaders, and nonprofits who were dealing with underserved and, and poor people, commercial real estate, and so that's what we looked at. And we interviewed a number of CEOs and other senior leaders in those in those industries. The basic question we asked people is, what were the biggest challenges you faced? And people were extraordinarily honest with us. You know, they talked also a lot about themselves. So, for example, we identified six major challenges. And let me just uh, just hit on a couple of them if we have time to to do that. One was the emotional toll on everyone. And that's probably the one that if I asked them to rank them, which I didn't, they would have said that was number one. And so let, let me give you a, a, a couple of examples of 
some of the things. For example, Mitch Rudin, who's the CEO of a company uh, that is a commercial real estate company in New York, he said, Glenn, my biggest concern was dealing with the mental health of the, our people while trying to maintain our positive, upbeat culture. And from there, so the first concern was about the employees in the organization, but then many of the leaders had to look inward at themselves and say, gee, this is having a lot of impact on me. At the same time, I don't want to make it about me and talk about what I'm feeling. So a lot of that was held within at first. Later on, they felt, let let me just tell you that I understand because I have a family too, and I'm concerned about them getting COVID. I'm concerned about me bringing it home to them. So shortly thereafter, for, for industries and businesses that could do it, remote work became a thing during COVID. And that had its own emotionality, its own stress, because the days started to expand. So you were available. You could not say, I'm out of town. You could not say, I'm unavailable. You were clearly available. So the the workday extended longer, and that became more stressful. And then even when the workday ended, your life and the stress of life didn't end because for many people, you you may know this personally, Ben, is the children were home from school and as a result, they were trying to learn. So when you got finished with work, you had to help them with their work and their homework and making sure that the computer was working and the high-speed internet was working and they were getting their assignments. So there was that all of that stress and you're looking at saying, wow, math has changed a lot since I went to school and I don't understand any of it. So there was a lot of that. Then you're worried about, am I going to lose my job? How are we going to pay the bills? Hey, quick one for you. I want to make sure that you know about my 10 for 10 leadership program. It's an online program that's totally free. It's bite-sized and it covers some of the most common leadership topics and challenges that I frequently get asked about. It's also a course that gets consistently great feedback. You can find out more by heading to the online courses page of my website at ben-morton.com. Here in the in the States, on top of all of the stress of COVID and what the impact on organizations, we had the the police murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the hundreds of thousands of people that were involved in protests in the streets. Now, you may say, well, that was there and there are organizations. No, 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 because many of the employees who were emotionally impacted and may have been directly involved in those protests worked for your company. And so many many leaders had to address that issue as well and how it was impacting their organization. A lot of people have missed this because it was a big part of what happened during COVID. Everybody wanted to talk about communication because that's that's what we're about. Uh, but communication became very challenging, uh, especially in the early, in the first year because of trying to 
explain to people what's going on in our industry, in our workplace, and how we're addressing this. That was a real challenge, and it, and it created a lot of stress for people. But after a while, they had to get comfortable. And, you know, this is what I know. This is what we're doing as a result of that. But things may change. So stay tuned. Clear messaging became a real, a, a real issue during this time. And locating credible sources, because there were a lot of conspiracy theories out there uh, about where COVID came from and, and how it's being transmitted. And it was a lot of scare tactics, not, not good stuff. So uh, that was just, let, let me just stop there and, and, and talk about, but there were, there were many other challenges, but the emotional one, I think is the one that hit people, hit people the hardest because it, you know, mixed in there with all these other factors that uh, impacted people and organizations and the quality of leadership. Phil, I think we're similar characters in so much as uh, I think we're both passionate about looking back, reflecting, learning from the past, but then asking, so what? Like, how do I use this? What do I do this with this information? So having spoke to, I think you said, 50 plus senior leaders in, in research in this book and having dug into some of the challenges that they faced, what are one or two maybe of the standout lessons that they shared with you that we can take and continue to apply now and in, in the future to help us as leaders? That's the great question. That's the, that, as you say, the so what. One thing was there was kind of the, the idea of old wine and new bottle, that em, employee engagement, who, which we've all been talking about for a long time, that ramped up because there, we, we needed to engage with employees in a much more impactful way. Yeah. So you saw leaders get out of their offices and start engaging with people on a direct basis where they could. Now, some people were working remotely. They had other ways of doing it. But, you know, the CEO of, um, of a hospital that I, that I interviewed, he was walking the hospital floors saying to nurses and doctors and others, what do you need? How can I help? Mm. How are you feeling? Do you need some time off? getting that information and doing something about it. Because one of the things he said to me was not just listening and say, oh, okay, but getting back to the person was very important. Now, sometimes you couldn't give the answer they wanted. We, we just can't get any more ventilators. We're having a hard, I mean, there's, you know, this suddenly uh, this phrase supply chain became a yeah. big part of our conversation. And that was a big part of, degree of difficulty in doing that. But walking the floors, I interviewed the, the chief administrative officer of Amtrak, the uh, train company, and he was walking the platforms of the stations and riding the trains and talking to conductors and uh, passengers and other people and where necessary, you know, carrying luggage on the onto the train. And they had to engage in a more direct way. Now, not, not everybody could do that because, for example, I talked to the CEO of a company that owns 21 Red Robin restaurants. That's a kind of a mid-level chain of restaurant establishments. And what he did is 
he would pick up the phone and call the general manager of his restaurants and saying, how are you doing? I've gotten to know this guy really, really well. And he has a way of remembering about people's personal life and family. You know, how, how are the kids? You know, they, they home from school now. And, you know, what, what, you know, what can I do to help and the like? And so he did a lot of person-to-person communication over the phone just to sometimes just to call up and say, hi, how are you doing? That's so powerful, right? I often talk about that with the analogy of um, like an emotional bank account like in terms of relationships. So just like in our regular bank account where we put our, our wages in every month, we can either be putting, making credits, right, and deposits, or we can be making, making withdrawals. Relationships are the same, aren't they? Every time we remember someone's name, remember their kids' names, inquire about how their kid got, in, got on with their soccer match or hockey game at the weekend, it's all credits in that emotional bank balance that builds the relationship and connection and actually means as a leader when we really need to ask people to to step up and go the extra mile they're more willing to do so right because they know that we know them and and care about them it's so so powerful and it's takes a little bit of effort but it doesn't really take take much does it no no it doesn't and i I, as i said i've watched this guy mike work with people because i've you know, I've met him in, in, in a Red Robin restaurant. In fact, I've met him a number of times. Uh, and I see what, the way he interacts with employees. And he does a lot of that. And what he did, which was very interesting, uh, one of the outcomes, that things that worked, was the change from competition to collaboration and, and the benefits of that. That he said the 21 restaurants used to compete to be the number one restaurant in in the company, you know, the sales and the customer satisfaction, whatever the the, the metrics were. And he said, now we started to collaborate because I would get the 21 of them on a call and I would say, how are you doing? And what's working? Yeah. And so one would say, you know, I, I reduced the menu. Uh, I took this these items out. And we're now concentrating on these few items. First of all, the customers, the number of the business was down and the supply chain issues, the same, uh, they had the same kind of issue. And so other, other, other restaurants, other general managers were listening to this and say, you know, maybe I ought to try the same thing. So there was more of that sharing ideas and they became more collaborative. And the result was a very positive one. And out of that also came, we got some very smart people in this organization and and we haven't been really utilizing them. And now another old word of ours, uh, Ben, empowerment became, had, was resurrected because we suddenly realized that, first of all, I can't be watching everybody at work anymore because they're someplace else and I'm some, I'm over here. And we had a trust that they were making decisions. So in the hospitals, the nurses and doctors were making decisions right on the spot. And in the restaurants, they were doing the same kind of thing. And so out of that, because they, they, they saw these innovations that came from this collaboration. And that has something that's going to continue down the road after, because they suddenly realized the value of it. And they realized that there's some terrific people in our organization that are underutilized. 
And that's that that was a powerful learning for them. Glenn, one one final question I'd love to ask you about, which you you reminded me of just then where you mentioned the word empowerment. Again, when we spoke previously to plan today's episode, I heard you say that empowerment and recognition tend to go hand in hand. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what what you mean by that one, please? Yes, because when you empower someone, in other words, you say, Ben, you make that decision. You're out there in direct contact with customers. You're in direct contact with patients. You're in a better position to make that decision, to make that call than I am. Make that decision. And so what you are saying to them is, I trust you. And that is probably the most powerful thing that you can say to another human being, I trust you. And when you trust, when an employee feels that they are trusted, you got them. They see you as, you know, the guy that doesn't just talk about empowerment, he's the real deal. You know, he's, as we said, walking the talk because I'm living this. It's a, empowerment is the, is fundamental of, uh, of trust. When I empower you, I'm saying, I trust you. And that there's a real benefit to the person and benefit to the organization, benefit to the customer and the like from all of that, from, from all of that. And as a result, those, those companies that acted in that way did not have the big issue of the so-called great resignation. Uh, they didn't have that issue. People stayed because they wanted wanted to work there. I actually wrote an article based on this research called Creating a Great Place to Work. Maybe we can we can put that in the show notes because uh, I, I, I actually compare two restaurants uh, that I personally go to. We changed the name to protect the innocent, you know, or the guilty. Um, but anyway, so yeah, let's let's maybe do that. Yeah, so. like that that piece around trust and empowerment. I just think is so fundamental to to leadership, and and it also can be a challenge, right? Because in in real times of crisis, I mean, leaders can quite easily go one of two ways. Some can go so directive, want to make every tiny little decision themselves, which is very disempowering, right? Or you can you can go go the other way and regular listeners of the show will have heard me talk a number of times about a concept the British Army has which is called um, mission command which is all about pushing decision making down to the very lowest level and we do that the British Army does that by making sure that kind of junior commanders know exactly what needs to be achieved and, and why they are given some boundaries or constraints within in which they must operate, but then leaders effectively are delegating the how. Like you, you work out how to, how to achieve it, and you flex and adapt as you see fit because you're on the you're on the front line, and that is super super empowering, right? Yeah, no, I, and I think that because um, we also ask people, what did you learn about yourself mm. and about your people? Well, one of the things that the first thing that jumped out of so many people's mouth was I learned that I don't always have to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, as one person said to us, he said, 
Glenn, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in, in the, the wrong room. room. <laughs> <Love that. laughs> right? So um, he said, I, you know, I, I learned I don't not only have to be the smartest person. I don't have to be the first person to come up with the solution because I, I always felt like I that's what people expected of me. And I learned that I, I don't have to that I don't have to be because I've learned that there's some pretty smart people in the organization. And we, we need to, as one person used this phrase, we need to just unleash them. And that's a critical learning out of this research. Glenn, we could keep talking for another hour, I'm sure. And you've given us so many, so many teasers about the, the book that um, I'm certainly going to make sure I get hold of a copy and uh, dig into it in a bit more detail. So to that end, can you give us some pointers? How can we, how can people get hold of the book? And I know you've got a, a special offer for listeners as well that you wanted to share with them. Yes, I I, I do. And uh, I had such a good time talking with you. I wanted to share with uh, your listeners, your followers, this offer. One of the things we say we uh, about a positive influence leader is that they pay it forward. Uh, if they are, they benefit from a leader, they tend to be a person that uh, carries it on with other people that they encounter in the course of their life and work. They pay it forward. So what I'm going to say to your listeners is the first five people that send me an email, and I'll give the email address in just a minute, saying that if I send them a signed copy of the book, they will in turn purchase a copy of the book and give it to a colleague, a friend, and in a sense, pay it forward. So they can email me at glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at thepositiveinfluenceleader.com. Com, the positive influence leader.com. And that's where obviously you'll find a lot of other things, including some really some great personal stories of positive influence, because I've been collecting stories. And if people want to share their story with me of how they've benefited from a positive influence, I would love to have that. And we'll, we'll put it, you know, with their permission on the on the website. So you buy a copy and give it to a, a colleague and I will send you, if you send me your mailing address, and I promise it's a one-time use of your mailing address, you'll never hear from me again, but I would love to uh, send you a signed copy of the book and, and you, you as well, Ben. So uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Brilliant. That's very kind. We will pop your web address and your email address in the show notes so people can just go straight down there and, and do that. Glenn, thank you so much for your time today. It's been marvellous chatting to you, kind of hearing about the research and the stories and the lessons from the most recent book and, and the previous ones, right? Because you're an author of many, many books. So thank you so much for giving up your time and all the best with the new book. Thank you very much. There you have it, folks. Episode 127. As always, I'd love to know what you thought and which elements of this interview really resonated with you. Do please connect with me on LinkedIn to let me know what you think or click on the feedback link in the show notes. And whilst you're in there taking a look at the show notes, do remember to check out the 10 for 10 Leadership Programme. 
That is also completely free, like this podcast, and it's a program that covers some of the fundamental basics of great leadership. It also gets consistently great reviews. And before you go, can I ask you to do just one thing for me that will take no more than five minutes at the very most? Please could you rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever you happen to be listening. It really does make a huge difference to me and the team. And honestly, without the reviews, we just cannot keep the show going. Do also please share the link to the show with your friends, colleagues and on your social media channels to get the word, the tips, the inspiration around great leadership out there to as many people as possible because the world really does need more great leaders now more than ever. That's it for this episode, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, lead on.